Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a senior editor at Noon. She was raised in Melbourne and Sydney as the daughter of a visual artist and rock and roll musician. In 2015, she moved to New York to complete her MFA in fiction at Columbia University, where she now teaches in the undergraduate and graduate programs. Her debut novel, Thirst for Salt, is out now. Please welcome Madeline Lucas. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm I'm good. Um, you've caught me the day before pub day, mm-hmm. so I'm a lot of things. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I'm a little overwhelmed, um, but I think mm-hmm. all that's to be expected. Yeah, definitely. And I, I that I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up. Usually, I talk to writers, you know, three or four weeks before pub day, so it's kind of like nothing's really on their mind yet. You're still kind of getting ready for things, but the book will be out. In less than twelve hours, in theory, right? it's, the, <laughs> it's the afternoon. Um, you said nervous, excited. I mean, what is going through your mind right now? Like a debut author, you, it's coming out. Yeah, I think it still just feels really surreal. I mean, mm. I think it's one of those things that you know, whenever there's like a long lead time to an event in your life, there's this sense of you can't really believe when the day has finally come. Mm -hmm. Um, So I keep waiting for things that are going to make it feel real. And getting the finished copies was like a beautiful moment. And I think it really sunk in then. But even so, it still feels a little abstract. So I don't really know what it's going to take for me to really believe it. Maybe it'll be tomorrow when I do my launch event and I actually get to see the book in the store for the first time. Yeah, I bet that's a special moment, just seeing it on a shelf of a place I'm sure you shop normally and go to. Um, yeah, I, I do want to talk about like the lead time, uh, a lead time to a massive event, to your book launch. What, how, I mean, when when did you know that March 7th was your pub day? Like how, how long have you been looking forward to like tomorrow? That's a great question. Um, I think it would probably be, I would say about a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, yeah, I think we locked it in pretty early with Tin House um, mm-hmm. and being a first novel, you know, they do tend to give things a long lead time so you mm-hmm. can build up publicity and and buzz and all that kind of exciting stuff. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's probably been about a year counting down to this this moment. Yeah. And these are questions I don't normally ask. Like, I'll talk about, like, when did you sell it, et cetera. But I don't really talk about, hey, you did it. How long is this? Like, how long have you been waiting? Um, your book, Thirst for Salt, we didn't even say the name yet. Um, I've been asking this recently a lot more. So I, I used to not ask it, but I like to know what is the book from from your perspective? Um, and I always ask it because publicity copy says it will say one thing. The media mm-hmm. will latch on to a certain aspect of the book and run with it. But what is Thirst yeah I think for an author it's so hard to condense um you know what the book is about into any one uh thing which is why I do feel so grateful that we have publicists (laughs) and marketing directors who can kind of tunnel that turmoil and emotion from your own mind and package it into something that's going to make sense to another human Mm -hmm. um but all that aside I think to me more than a story of first love or a coming of age story, I think of Thirst for Salt is really grappling with that first experience of adult intimacy, 
where you can kind of imagine for the first time what it would be like to share a life with someone, maybe have a family um, or a home together. And I guess that subject interests me because I don't feel like it's written about as much in fiction as these other kind of milestone events. Um, my protagonist is a little older than in a classic coming of age novel. She's coming out of university, she's 24, and kind of feeling adrift at this point in her life. Um, and that really came from my own experience. I mean, Thirst for Salt is not an autobiographical novel in any way. But I will say that that period of my life, coming out of university, wondering what was next, to me that felt much more complicated and fraught um, and anxiety provoking yeah. than when I finished high school because I sort of knew what awaited me after high school. I knew I was going to go into university and it was mm -hmm. kind of like, well, I'm going to put that on hold for another four years. Um, evidently, I went to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my way of like grappling with uh, that kind yeah. of crisis that happens at um, in your mid-20s. Um, but I felt like I just didn't see that written about as often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found like my mid-20s as well. You know, I went to college. I went to university here. I did four years. I did what I was supposed to do. I graduated and I just didn't want to like work. I mean, I, I I had a teaching degree. I could have just taught at a high school. I could have coached sports. But then I just like kind of aimlessly like bounced around the country working for a magazine, working for bookstores, working for summer camps, like in my 20s. And mm -hmm. I was hanging out with... um you know, people that didn't go to college. So they were 18, 19, 20, and I was 24. And it was just a weird part of my life. And and and, and you really capture, captured what it means to just like not really know. And mm -hmm. but there's all this other stuff going on. Yeah, I think, you know, well, firstly, a few things. I think that um, struggle is even more pronounced, perhaps, if you want to be in creative industries mm. or any kind of field where there isn't like a classic ladder to climb or path yes. to follow. Um, and then also, you know, my narrator kind of had this transient upbringing too, um, with unconventional parents, um, you know, a kind of loving but impulsive mother and an itinerant absent father. And I think that if you don't have that family structure and then you're out in the world on your own without the structure of a university or an institution to hold you, um, there is this sense of vulnerability that can come in, I think, for the first time. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my experience as well. You know, I came out of university and I knew I kind of didn't want to have like a conventional career path. I was making music, I was writing. And so again, like my narrator, I ended up spending most of that year working in a bookstore and, and trying to figure out how to make um, art on the side. Mm -hmm. When did you start writing the book? Like how far removed were you from your like messy mid-20s? It's a great question because the idea for the relationship, this kind of formative dynamic between my narrator, who's 24, mm -hmm. and this older man, Jude, who's 18 years her senior, who she first meets when she's on a holiday with her mother in a small Australian beach town, that came to me when I was her age at the time. Mm -hmm. So I first wrote a story about this couple when I was 24. Um, it was a short story about the narrator Jude in his early form and their dog who also made it into the novel. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I was satisfied with the story. Um, but when I moved to New York for grad school, I kept finding myself drawn back to those characters um, and particularly to that landscape, the Australian coastal town. Um, and so I wrote a few more stories about them, you know, over the couple of years when I was doing workshops. And over time, I realized that 
really what I was picturing was a longer story that did just have one arc, which was, you know, the beginning and then the demise of this relationship. So it's a complicated question, yeah. but it was in about 2018 that I started revising all of those stories from the beginning um, mm -hmm. with the intention of turning it into a novel. Yeah, I mean all first novels are messy <laughs> like like those yes. story, the stories i've heard time and time again and what i love is um like with with, with how like you with how your book came about so you had this idea when you were that age when you were revising it like i mean i i mean i know how old you are because it's in your bio so we're just a year apart so you're not that much removed from 24 really um, mm -hmm. um did you have though know, a sense of like retro uh, like a different sense of of what 24 meant when you were late 20s, early 30s? Definitely. Um, I really feel like I've grown alongside the characters in my novel. Mm. And it is really interesting um, because the narrator is now looking back on this relationship uh, about 13 years later. So she's 37, mm -hmm. a few years older than I am now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in a way I had to kind of catch up to her and her point in life to be able to write the story. Yeah. Um, and it did go through kind of, messy awkward phases as I went through that growth and I do think that is like you say a beautiful thing about the first novel is that it really contains you know the growth of an author not just as an yeah. artist but as a human and what you learn in your life uh, during the period of writing a novel because it is something that takes a long time yeah I mean yeah exactly I'm sure there are lucky writers out there who thought of a book sold it in less than a year etc 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 but for the most part, it's like you, it's, it's almost a decade of writing or close to a decade. And can you imagine if Thirst for Salt in some way, shape or form came out when you were 24, 25, like how different it would be? I'm so <laughs> glad that that wasn't my story. I yeah. think like, um, I really think that that growth was necessary to tell the best story that I could tell. But also, I just don't know if I would have felt as ready for the kind of publicity and other, mm. you know, attention reviews at that vulnerable age in my life. Um, having, you know, made art and put it into the world for some time now, first as a musician and then publishing stories and essays and things like that. Mm -hmm. Having done an MFA, I feel like all of that was training in like how to be an author um, as well. And I just wouldn't have been ready for that at 24. And you also teach classes now, right? How That's does that, right. yeah, how does that shape you as a writer? Not necessarily what you're teaching, but like, yeah, like how does it shape you now as a writer? It's a great question. I mean, one of the things that I love about teaching is just being in an environment where everybody is learning. And I feel like I learned so much from my students too. Um, and it keeps me in touch with that that side of myself. I always loved being a student. That was an environment that I kind of always felt very at home in and um, very inspired by. So I love being part of that environment. But I think there's also something really special about getting to work with writers in the early stages mm -hmm. of their career. Um, I feel like it reminds me to take risks still with my own work. Um, I think it's easy when you've been doing something for a while to kind of get stuck in your habits or your patterns. But seeing my students and the kind of creative and emotional risks they take in the page of their own work. Um, yeah, it, it kind of encourages me to remember to do the same. Going back to the timeline, just for me wrapping my head around it, you know, mm -hmm. you're writing it 
before or during when you're at your MFA? So I was writing stories um, around these same characters while I was in my MFA. Um, But it wasn't until I finished the program and Mm -hmm. I was working on what would become my thesis in the kind of year after I was on a teaching fellowship Mm -hmm. um, and working on the novel. That was around the time, yeah, that I started working on it in earnest and it started taking the shape that it has now. What made it click that it needed to shift from stories to novel? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I... I'm such a fan of the Link short story collection. You know, I love um, Dennis Johnson's Jesus' Sons, uh, Sarah Micah's collection, Cities I've Never Lived In, Cara Blue Adams' collection from, Mm -hmm. I think it was last year, You Never Get It Back. Yeah, That's a form that I've just always really admired. And in some ways, I think it feels more true to the way that I experience life, you know, as these kind of distilled moments in time that are heightened and they are all connected, but not necessarily with one overarching plot like in a novel. And I think I also am a, the kind of writer that's not particularly um, excited by plot or drawn to plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I really am more invested in those kind of quiet in-between moments. So I think I was quite resistant to the idea of writing a novel for a long time. Um, but part of that was self-doubt too, right? Like I just... I didn't really feel like I could do it for some reason. Um, It felt like it was out of my comfort zone and what I felt comfortable with. But as I kept working on it, I felt like writing stories was giving me a way out of kind of complicated moments of tension Mm -hmm. because I could just end the story. And so it was like, okay, I don't have to cross that bridge because the story ends here. And of course, good short fiction doesn't do that. Um, But I think there was something about this narrative that couldn't quite be contained in the way I wanted it to be contained. And that was really coming um, at the expense of the work. So I kind of had to have this reckoning where I had to let go of my original vision for it and what I thought was this perfect art form and let it just be the story it wanted to be. And like I said, um, part of that involved realizing that there really was just one arc, which was the beginning to the end of this relationship. Um, so kind of, yeah, trying to jump in at all these different points in time in stories, it just wasn't really working as well. But I have yeah. to say, I'm I'm really grateful that I came to that conclusion on my own, because I know there's a lot of pressure for writers who are working in stories, sometimes from, you know, a well-meaning agent or editor who thinks the work is going to be more marketable if it takes the shape of a novel. Um, and I feel strongly that this was the right choice for the book, but I'm glad I didn't feel kind of pressured by sure. anyone else to make that call. I, yeah. I got there on my own. <laughs> yeah. As you made that transition to, you know, making it a novel, uh, a long form traditional story in a way. Well, as someone who also doesn't really like plot, I just like the lived in mm-hmm. moments, uh, the, the scenes of life. What was the the hardest part for you for figuring out how to tell this story as a novel? The hardest part was definitely the beginning and the ending. Um, For me, I was kind of haunted by that classic question that often comes up in writing workshops. Why is this story being told now? I think for me, you know, I found it hard to answer that question because I was sort of trying to grapple with why memory works the way it does. And I don't know that there's always a good reason for why the past comes back to us. But for a novel, particularly, I think you really need that kind of strong 
narrative hook to give it that sense of propulsion and urgency. Um, so that was kind of the biggest challenge in shaping the book. I always knew the middle. That was a space I felt very comfortable with and very involved in. Um, but trying to figure out where was my narrator when she was looking back on this relationship mm -hmm. and, and why are these things coming back to her um, at this point in her life? That was the most challenging thing. How much of like that middle section, you know, of the, of the novel came like directly from the stories or how different are they? Quite a lot, actually. Yeah, there are passages that are kind of verbatim from my original oh. original stories. Yeah, yeah, oh, I, that, that, I, I love that. That fascinates me. I'm just thinking of like how long they've lived in your brain and on the page. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, once you know, an agent gets involved, an editor gets involved, what were like the initial feedback, the pieces that maybe they want you to work on or that they felt where you did it, you nailed it right away? With my agent, it was mainly that kind of structural issue mm -hmm. of trying to find the right place and point in time to begin. And she was so helpful with that. Um, and yeah, Samantha Shea is my agent and she has a great sense of narrative structure and just, I think, a different kind of brain to the way my brain works, which mm -hmm. was really helpful. And that was really great, too, because it wasn't necessarily you know, the vision was there. So it wasn't kind of vague or amorphous feedback. It was really targeted to like, okay, how can we find a beginning point and an end point that's kind of going to serve your story. Um, and then I did a lot of editing on my own. Mm. I'm kind of an obsessive editor. I mean, I'm, I'm also a senior editor at the literary annual noon. Um, mm -hmm. And we read with a really heightened attention to detail um, for listeners who aren't familiar with Noon, it's a lot of very short, um, highly condensed fiction with like a detailed attention to mm -hmm. language. Um, so yeah. that's definitely gotten into my brain over the years. And so I did a lot of editing myself um, before it went out onto submission. And then with Maisie, my editor at Tin House, she had such a brilliant kind of sense of how to make the book the best version of itself it could be and something I really loved about her approach to editing is that she has a really uh, subtle hand and a lot of it was telling me to pull back in places which I loved because I felt like you know as a student um, in MFAs I was always getting questions like add more add more and she was about making those little moments just land perfectly um, yeah so mm -hmm. I felt lucky our visions really matched in that way yeah, I, th I think you answered this, but I'm going to just make sure, did you, like, what is, you, when you love editing, what are you looking for when you're editing your own work? So many things. <laughs> um, I really, language and sound and rhythm is really important yeah. to me. So if I'm editing something, I'll read it back to myself out loud, always. Mm. Um, it's the only way that I can kind of get a sense if everything is flowing. And I also have kind of a weird thing about repetition. Um, I really don't like repeated words unless it's an intentional thing. Yeah. I just think it's another opportunity to add language or, or texture. Um, so often that's what I'm checking for too, to make sure I haven't repeated myself too many times, repeated the same word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I keep hearing you say like the the sound, the flow it makes total sense. I'm just remembering like when I was reading your book the first time, um, just not how sing songy it is. That's not, maybe not the right word, but it just it felt like yeah, you're telling me a story, which is probably one of my favorite compliments I can give someone. Like, that, that means a, like that. I love that. I love feeling cozy. Is what yeah. I always tell people. And like your book, I mean, I know what it's dealing with and the relationship and the age difference, but it's like the living moments, the coziness mm-hmm. between plot, because plot is, mm-hmm. I don't need plot anymore. <laughs> I love that. I mean, for me, storytelling is such an intimate thing. And mm-hmm. I always feel like it goes back to like how we first come to experience stories yeah. as children. Like if you had parents that read aloud to you or people in your mm-hmm. life who read aloud to you, which I definitely did. Um, you know, my dad is also a musician, um, but he read a lot to me as a child. And I think that really taught me that storytelling is also a kind of performance. Um, mm-hmm. And it's intimate too, you know? Yeah. And and I mean, we, we think back like historically, storytelling has always been verbal, has always been oral. And I, I think a lot of I've been dealing, struggling with this, not struggling. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because when I listen to audio books, for the most part, it's um, like sci-fi or action or um, not like literary fiction because for me, like I need to put the voice in my own head. I can't have it read mm-hmm. to me. And I wonder what that's about. You know, like why, why am I okay with like certain genre or certain style, but I have to read certain style. Mm-hmm just me thinking out loud with, with you. No, that's, it's interesting. I feel like, um, yeah, everyone reads, I think in such a highly specific way. Like when I read, I hear my own voice mm-hmm. narrating it back to me in my, my head. Um, and I, I read at the pace that someone would read out loud, which means I am quite a slow reader, which mm-hmm. at times I felt sort of ashamed about, <laughs> but I've kind of made peace with it now. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, I read differently depending on why I'm reading. Like if I'm reading for Day mm-hmm. Beautiful or I'm reading a book I've read before. I mean, I think we all do this, but it, it is interesting where um, like, yeah, how slow I am for certain books on mm-hmm. purpose almost. Like I reread passages, but certain books I don't even think about once I close it. I mean, mm-hmm. it <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, I didn't warn you. Usually I do warn authors. I'm going to ask this, but what have you been reading or what's on your Mm -hmm. mind? And if you need to take a few seconds to think about it, please do, because I did not (laughs) tell you I was going to ask this. It's okay. I I was prepared because I feel like I've had a few conversations with people lately and they've asked me what I've been reading and I get that instant mental blank where everything evaporates. Mm -hmm. Um, A book that came out recently that I was really excited about, another debut, was Couplets by Maggie Milner kind of hybrid, part prose, part poetry. Um, But something that excited me about that was that I think it does deal with what I was talking about earlier in terms of the idea of like a second first love. Um, So I was really excited by that. Before that, I also, another debut, because it feels like I should just be shouting out debuts here, um, Ali Rowbottom's novel Aesthetica, Mm. I tore through that in a couple of days and I was so moved by it in really unexpected ways um, because, you know, it is kind of part Hollywood tragedy for the Instagram age. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also, I think, a deeply hopeful story about survival and grief and recovery. Um, And I just think Ali's brilliant. I'll, I'll read anything she writes. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought those two books up. Uh, both are books I haven't read yet, and I missed technically. I missed for day beautiful, like, and and I'm all, I'm bringing this up more for myself and maybe listeners. <laughs> You've ignored me. It's like, listen, there are authors who are should be on my radar so hard, and I miss them because X, Y, or Z. Um, mm-hmm. But both are like on my like go back and read list. Which uh, yeah, and and like how do you how do you discover writers? How do you discover other authors? I guess I'm pretty lucky to be thoroughly enmeshed in, you know, a writing life at this point. So, Um, you know, I discover writers through mutual friends, um, what my friends are reading. Also, just the old fashioned way through looking in a bookstore. Like, I love nothing more than to browse and my local independent bookstore um, for, you know, kind of unseemly amount of time. (laughs) Um, Reading the backs of books. I mean, because I am a reader that's also so driven by you know voice and language i really like to be able to just open up a book and read it a few pages to see if it's going to click with me um so yeah those are the main the main ways thank you so much to madeline for joining the day beautiful podcast to talk about her debut book thirst for salt which is out now get it at your local independent bookstore you can find her at madelinelucas.com on Twitter at Madeline underscore Lucas and on Instagram at Madeline Josephine. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all.